Hi, everyone. It's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. And my guest today is Mike Fenoya, like Sequoia. I, we went through a whole thing just now to get that straight, Mike. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, everything's uh, as good as it can be in our world today, which is a tough one. Um, but uh, so everyone... Um, of course, I've uh, done stuff with Mike before and uh, with his partner, O'Toole Burbridge, on Comes a Time, their wonderful podcast. Uh, please do check it out. And, and of course, uh, Mike uh, is a, uh, a traveling comedian going around. He's, he's doing it right now, doing um, the comedy club circuit and so on. So, yeah. So we haven't talked in a long time. And um, those of you uh, who uh, know uh, mind rolling well know that my interest lies in how can we help each other on a day-to-day -day basis of just getting a lot more balanced and uh, being able to work with our lives in a way that's uh, contributing to those around us. So. I just wanted to catch up with Mike because uh, he's he's got some things that have gone on that I think would be wonderful to share. So I'm going to leave it to you right now to do a little bit of sharing. Sharing is caring.
Oh, really? That's interesting. You want to throw in throw in environmental degradation, racial injustice, economic injustice. I mean, you've already mentioned gigantic polarization. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Into a real lather. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> no. Mm. Oh shit, I'm depressed. Mm. 
With the therapist. Oh. Oh, shit. No. Holy shit. Oh, God. Um. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm.
Wow. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, the mm, wow. The beauty and well, two things come to mind. One is what's that Leonard Cohen song? You know, there's a crack in all of us, and that's what lets the light through. So until you get cracked, I mean, really seeing, I mean, this comes from, you know, Ramdas used to say this all the time. It actually comes directly from our guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Uh, I love suffering. It brings me closer to God. Now, of course, he wasn't experiencing anything like that. So it, it was Ramdas who who coined that. And nobody is asking for it. But the reality is this is the nature of our, the fabric of life is, as the Buddha said, suffering. And that's what he realized when he became enlightened. And so without that, there's no chance whatsoever to transform, right? There just isn't. The other thing that strikes me is, um, you know, talking about it in public, which you have a platform to do so, and the reality of what people, that sharing and what it does for people and what community is, we call it satsang in the, you know, the Eastern word for it, uh, is invaluable. That is what it's, it's what we are all about. It's, that kind of sharing allows us to individually and collectively uh, transform, you know, so uh, right on. in it together. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. The other thing to note, though, as the Buddhists say, since we're uh, talking about the Buddha, is every, it's uh, to grasp 
uh, in the beginning intellectually, but the deeper reality of impermanence in which people think that's shitty, impermanent. Oh, I just fell in love. You mean that's not going to last? No, <laughs> it's not. But neither is depression, right? Neither is depression. And, and to know when you get that a little bit more in one's bones, and, you know, that's through practice. And meditative practice is, is one uh, essential way. Mindfulness, of course, meditative practice, uh, particularly, and I think we may have talked about it when we did the uh, podcast, uh, Vipassana, insight meditation, and insight into the reality of impermanence so that we are not living in fear. And that uh, it was brought to the West by Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and uh, Joseph Goldstein. Um, and we'll put something up in the show notes so you can link up because it's a, a tremendous practice. Um, I wanted to, knowing a little bit, because, you know, in terms of our back and forth before this podcast of what you were going through, I uh, fortunately have someone who is is a friend, is part of our larger community, and one of the best psychotherapists that I know that I've met. I, I do podcasts with him, so I get a free consult, actually. That's <laughs> he laughs at that. Um, so interestingly enough, um, this, this comes from both the Dalai Lama and, and I think you know who Robert Thurman is. Bob is just a, an amazing, amazing bee. You should have him on, on your podcast. And Bob has a podcast. Um, the purpose of life is to be happy. As a Buddhist, I have found that one's own mental attitude is the most influential factor in working toward that goal. In order to change conditions outside ourselves, whether they concern the environment or relations with others, we must first change within ourselves. Inner peace is key. And so, um, have you heard of, of Mark? Do you know who Mark Epstein is? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, uh, he, you know, he talks about in, you know, as he was in the earlier stages of being a psychotherapist, he was real suspicious of the nascent self-help movement and uh, wellness and so on. And, you know, I also have that same purview. Uh <laughs> Um, yeah, because, you know, as he says, you know, this is a way to, you're drawn to Eastern thought, hoping to leapfrog over your personal issues, which nowadays is called spiritual bypass, right? And, uh, and, you know, you want to get rid of that self, that horrible self, you know, everything that you've just described. Um, and, you know, what we, he calls it, what we want is a spa treatment from meditation, right? Meditation, we will go and have a very good spa treatment. Um, <laughs> and he, he goes on to say, though, um, I could tell from my own meditations that relaxation, while an occasional benefit, was not always accessible on demand. Um, and meditation come to mean being with my own mind, no matter what state it was in. And... Um, so, you know, I mean, and taking one thing, which is one of the, we may have discussed this, I don't remember, 
But uh, anger is something that I've had to deal with in my entire life, a little bit of inherited stuff from my dad and all that. Um, but he said this wonderful thing. And this is one of the things that, uh, that it becomes an insight after you do a little bit of work. Anger was an obstacle to love when it could not be acknowledged. And this is from uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And in order to not be a victim of one's anger, and I have felt very much like that, it was important to be able to recognize it with a compassionate attitude. And that is, you know, part and parcel to everything that you just talked about, you know, and and the the depths of uh, depression that going through and the way that we criticize ourselves, even in when we are in such pain, we're still like, you piece of shit, you just, what, you're too, like, precious or something? You know, I mean, the way we talk to ourselves, I just read something the other day about uh, someone suggesting, and again, and the Buddhists have a lot going on, you know, some of it gets a little too, you're, it's so crystalline and clear. Ramdas used to talk about how Buddhists, you know, they, their whole um, philosophy and uh, their purview is so crystalline and exacting and it's wonderful and you get lost in it, you know, in the intellectual pursuit of it and so on. Um, so uh, the, the, I, I, let me just quote also from, the, from His Holiness. Um, Dalai Lama, narrow, self-centered, self-important, cowardly people keep the cause of suffering, self-centeredness, close to their hearts. They complain all the time, thinking, me, me, poor me, cherishing the very forces of their downfall. Mocking the self-cherishing attitude helps it go away, and opening to the suffering of others helps destabilize it. So it's all about going, reaching out. First of all, reaching out or in, reaching in is, you know, just being able to have a sense of humor about this, the way that we are, the self, I love that term so much, self-cherishing. I mean, it's what we do on a moment-to-moment basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Mm, it's big. Mm, mm, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially, I mean, across the board, but young people these days, I mean, trying to navigate this shit, it's just uh, beyond the beyond. Here's another little tidbit from Mark. Um, and it's about, uh, it's again from the Buddhist view, which is where he comes from. Uh, good enough can never be good enough. You know, that's in all of us. There's always a leftover feeling of something missing, something wrong, something hard to face, something out of reach. And that this can be beneficial as it prompts a search for the real this could describe everything you just described. Even with good enough upbringing and the consolidation of what might be called a good enough, quote-unquote, self, right? according to the Buddhist logic, there will still be disquiet, confusion, insecurity, because we are all instinctively struggling 
to be something independent, solid, coherent, self-sufficient, you know, Ramdas roles and identities, right? We are all doing, and we can never be, right? Even in healthy personality development, we emerge from childhood defending against the underlying truth of how contingent, provisional, and dependent we actually are, right? We, we are defending that. The persistence of such feelings, far from being a symptom of parental failures, which I like to blame everything on those poor people who aren't even with us, uh, is actually the seed of wisdom. This, right? So that's taking a whole, that's turning the whole thing around. Again, there's a crack, and that's how the light gets in. That cr- it can't happen, you know, without that. Uh, so, acknowledging the emptiness that frightens us, whatever its source may be, is the key to a deeper and truer understanding. The emptiness, yeah. I'm gonna, and by the way, I am reading Mark Epstein. Okay, everybody out there. So um, I just it just completely in alignment with what I understand myself. Um, fighting against this stuff only rigid rigidifies our defenses and isolates us further. Acknowledging the emptiness that frightens us, whatever its source may be, is the key to a deeper and truer understanding. In other words, we are inviting in. It's like, you know, this beautiful practice. Another Buddhist practice is, you know, feeding the demons. Uh, it's called uh, chode practice, where you invite the negative shit, the negative emotions, the negative thoughts. Come in. Ramdas actually used to have a thing uh, when he first came back from India, and he was all fired up and on. You know, he was like lit up, and he would talk about. Yeah, you know, we have these, he called them schmooze. Yeah, you invite them in. Here, have a cup of tea and sit with me. This horrible, dark thought, right? And and then have your tea and then you can go. So a relationship where befriending this stuff rather than pushing it away is is what, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, yeah. But on the other side, to push back, meditation, the practice of meditation allows one to go deeper and deeper. And the, the analogy of the onion is stuff sloughs off as realization happens. It's more like that rather than why am I uncovering more of the same? So, yeah, it, yeah, very much. Yeah. Yeah. No, we love to do it too. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um it's it's just really it's difficult and it takes an ingredient that I think you haven't mentioned and uh, here's a story that I I've told a billion times. Um but it's it's apt every time I tell it because it reminds me and that's what it's about. I mean, the stuff here I'm, you know, sharing, doing podcasts, whatever courses that we do at uh, Love, Serve, Remember and the sharing that we do. The repetition actually is very important, you know, and uh, so his stories actually comes from Krishnadas, uh, who you know. Who that is, and um, he was in Mumbai, India, because he was chasing after Neem Karoli Baba, trying, you know, because that's all we do is trying to spend as much time as we could with that thing, because you know it was a precious jewel, as Ram Das called it. Anyhow, he ended up in a in a hotel in Mumbai. He did connect with some Indian people that were uh, with Maharaji, because so, he. He divined it all. He worked it out. He got the phone number. You know, he did the whole thing. You know, he did the research. <laughs> so anyhow, Maharaji said, okay, I'll come over to your hotel. He didn't actually, the Indian said, I'll get Maharaji over to the hotel. He says, that's fine. He'll come. So he came over and he's in the room and uh, doing, you know, you think of this incredible Siddha, a being that no longer is in polarization of any sort. Right? There's nothing rational going on. He didn't teach. He didn't write books. You know, nothing like that. So what was he doing? He found the bell that, uh, you know, you rang the bell to get service, tea and food and room service, right? So he'd ring the bell. The guy would come up and, you know, like flustered to be in the presence of such a being, and he touches feet and everything. He'd go back down. He brought some water. He brought a tea. And anyhow, Maharaji just kept ringing the bell. And the poor shit had to come. Right? Poor guy. Every time he had to. And there's no elevator. He's up 30 you know, flights of stairs. God knows what it was. And of course, it was delightful for everybody. Anyhow, so this, this check that that's the atmosphere of this being, right? He's having fun ringing the bell and the guy coming up, you know. And the guy is getting the most incredible blessing to be in the presence of such a being. So um, at one point, so the uh, Indian man who was 
with him and was translating because Maharaji supposedly, I mean, we know he knew everything and speaking English wasn't a problem. But playing the game in that body, he did not speak English. And he looked at Krishnas and he said, courage is everything. And Krishnas was like, Ooh, whoa. And the other guy, the, the, the translator and the longtime devotee said, but no, this Maharaji, this is, you know, Guru Kripa, Bhakti Yoga. The blessings, this is all the grace of the Guru. In other words, whatever happens, you do it. We don't do anything, you know, India. <laughs> we have nothing going. And Maharaji, when this guy said that, he turned back to Krishnas. He said, courage is the most important, you know, is everything. He repeated from that day on, Krishnadas, whenever he got into the kind of jam-ups that you were just describing earlier, he remembered that moment and he remembered what courage really is. And it's, it's uh, aligning oneself with the universal force, whatever, you know, the force, we're at Star Wars now, um, and, and being able to, uh, to take the action and you know, your case is the most, I mean, you just, we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about it. And I have to think that that was in you to break through this for yourself, for everybody around you and so on. And then to share it, you know, on the platform that you have an ability to share it with that courage is, you know, Yeah, 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 and that's courage. No, we're taught to hide it. We're taught to don't show your feelings. Yeah, suck it up. And, you know, the whole, all the football analogies that there are, when the going gets tough, Vince Lombardi, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, okay? You know, that's our culture. You know, our culture, which is more Mickey Mouse than it is Hanuman in India, that's for sure. You know? Yeah, exactly. Again, it takes way more courage to break through that 
constriction that we have in this society. It takes courage to say, I need some help, you know, and... <laughs> I should have a calendar with different poop on each month. <clears throat> um, I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Big win, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, really. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> End of a month. Yeah, really. Uh I got something here that that is a little bit in in a microcosm representative of uh, some of what we're talking about. It's again from, you know, I'm by the way everybody, I'm referring to this book The Zen of Therapy, Mark Epstein. Uh, just a fabulous book, uh, highly recommended. And anyhow, so he went one, uh, a couple of years before Ram Dass died. He went to uh, Maui to meet with him. He had, he had known him and and so on, and they communicated over the years. And uh, so he went and just summarize a little bit. He was in the water. Ram Dass would go in the water where he became completely buoyant and free because he was half paralyzed, right? and constricted it was really hard um and and they would go out and he was out in the middle of the ocean ramdas was singing row 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 your boat you know it was just like this delightful thing and everybody got into this oneness of being and um so then they went out after the swim they went out and ramdas would take 
you know, however many, 20, 30 people out to lunch. And, you know, he loved doing that. And uh, then everybody's individual ego and self-identification came to the fore. Just what would you like to drink? And everybody had, I want my tea. It's got to have, you know, 20%, 2% milk or, you know, whatever, coffee, whatever they were doing. It was like, it started to make Mark crazy. He said, ordering the iced tea was difficult enough for the group. Imagine what happened when it came to the soup. <laughs> and, you know, I was full, uh, he said, I was full of sour and disapproving thoughts, but Ramdas was oblivious to the egos flashing around him. Uh, and uh, so what happened? I had been doubting what I had felt in the ocean, as if our group's resurgence of personality negated what had seemed so real and alive, so connected and true just minutes before. But that fleeting smile, Ramdas just connected with him across the table, uh, showed me where Ramdas was really at. He sensed my distress, but he was able to hold the paradox I was struggling with. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's Ramdas. Uh, both realities were true. And the one did not ob obviate the other. This is extremely, like, important. He a, being able to hold the paradox. It was a therapeutic moment, if there ever was one. The ocean and the restaurant, the soul and the ego, innocence and experience, relatedness and separateness, they were all two sides of one coin. All these beings had once been my mother. And they were all my children. And now here we all were having lunch together, a pod of souls in an endless stream of family get-togethers. Hey, it's so sweet and so right on. I mean, I, I just, and, and the other thing, you know, to, to say, which is something, It's so core to everything that I can relate with is, okay, just what's our down-to-earth real reality, real reality, if there's such a word. Um, and Mark says here, and just he says it eloquently, the path I have outlined in this, you know, eventually leads to the realization that simple kindness is the fuel of the peace of mind we all crave. When the mind object drops away, even for an instant, all kinds of latent interpersonal possibilities emerge for connection, empathy, insight, joy, and dare we say, love. How to make this happen is a very tricky question. <laughs> but... But that, that is what it is. You're, you know, and just you, you know, your sharing of this stuff uh, is what we're talking about. Um, and uh, again, from the, I'm sorry, I'm reading all this stuff. It just, I got so excited. I couldn't stop myself. The, the, the main theme of Buddhism, the Dalai Lama says, is altruism, altruism based on compassion and love. And uh, the, the found, one foundational, by the way, Tibetan practice is mother recognition. It's what you kind of were talking about before in relation to how you turn to that essence in this process that you went through. He said, in order to have a sense of closeness and dearness for others, 
you must first train in a sense of their kindness through using as a model a person in this lifetime who is very kind to yourself and then extending this sense of gratitude to all beings. Since in general, in this life, your mother was the closest and offered the most help, the process of meditation begins with recognizing all other sentient beings as like your mother. So he's absolutely defining what you just said about what you went through and where, where you turned. And further than that, he says our future as a humans uh, lies uh, at the feet of women and the compassion that they exude to their children who then grow up and then have, you know, a much, that, that we have a possibility of that ex extension of that compassion to, to all beings. And then our lives change. And boy, do we need that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not even a maybe, not even a maybe. Being able to share this stuff is really what it's all about. And, uh, and, and dealing with this and not bypassing it through spiritual blah, blah, you know, all the way to medita meditation or anything that we do, you know, not dealing with this kind of a thing is, um, is just avoiding. It's just avoidance and using spiritual ego. And, you know, it's not productive. DNA. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
Yeah. Well, we can just, uh, again, to quote Ramdas, work on ourselves and change our own hearts in order to radiate that out to other people gives them an opportunity to dig in and, and realize it's, it's okay. There, I did a uh, podcast, Mike, recently uh, with uh, a good friend, Danny Goldman, who was with us in India actually back in the day. And he wrote Emotional Intelligence. And I keep, every time I think of him, and then I always mention that book, which is a huge New York Times bestseller many years ago. Um, everyone's got to own a copy of that because we, we are deficient emotionally, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but he wrote a book, came out at the end of last year. It's someone to have if you, uh, you know, on, on UNO Teal on the podcast. It's called Why We Meditate. Uh, the Science and Practice of Clarity and Compassion. It's an excellent book, and it's done with him and a teacher of his and, and friend named Sokni Rinpoche, who comes from a family of the uh, the greatest meditation teacher of the last you know century and a half or something, uh, Tulku Urgin Rinpoche. Uh, and all of his sons were amazing teachers, uh, one of them is this Sokni. One of them is Mingjo Rinpoche, who I've, all, I've had on the podcast, who's extraordinary as well. And um, Sokni was talking about he, what he called essence love. That thing that is behind any kind of contractual arrangement around that word, okay, is the best way I can put it, right? Yeah. And he, so that's essence love. And he was describing it in a way, trying to get us to be able to understand what he was talking about. And he, eventually he said, it's that deep-seated feeling it's of okayness. You know, you just let your breath out, it's okay. That okayness. And I realized, you know, and I was fortunate to be in India when I went back with, with Ramdas and met Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba. And I, we were magnetized by that, of course, the unconditionality that was a pool that you were in of love. But it was that, we, it was okay. The sense of okayness, that's a terrific, ter I, I love that term and I picked it up from them and I'm just sharing that with everybody. There is a sense of okayness and you've gone through the fire to get to that okayness, I believe. Mm, right. Yeah. But, yep. Yeah. 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 It's wonderful. Hey, great to have you here, Mike, and catch up like the You know, aren't podcasts great? You know, I have a whole, uh, I mean, years of different friendships, and you know, I come back to people. We do another one. We catch up. It's like especially during the pandemic, it was like invaluable to be able to, to have that, uh, to go on. But, uh, yeah. So, um, people want to get in touch and just be able to come out to a show. Where should they go, Mike? Just think of Sequoia, Benoya. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Social. Hmm. 
Yeah. 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 Tone. Yeah, I'd love to get back and you guys, uh, everybody uh, who doesn't know O'Teal Burbage is, of course, he's the bass player for the, what do they call them now? Deading Company. Yeah. And, right. No, he's an amazing musician. He does wonderful uh, music on his own. And he's worthwhile checking out. Yeah, actually love to get, tell O'Teal. Let's get together again. So, uh, yeah, we'll put this in the show notes where you can get connected uh, with Mike. I'd like to. Are you going to be out west at all? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, you got to come down to L.A. You know, I don't... This. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. Okay. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again, Mike, for being here and sharing. It's really invaluable. We are all, we all go through something very similar at different points in our life, one way or the other. And to acknowledge it is, you know, very, it's courage, as they say. Uh, so again, everybody, this is Mind Rolling at Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Mind Rolling and slash Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Krishnadas and Alan Watts uh, and Ramdas, of course. Uh, so do take advantage and uh, we shall see you next week.